Welcome to the Equipping Podcast. My name is Nathan, and today I am here with three other people. One of them, directly to my left, is a guy named Peter Milliken. G'day is how we say hello in Australia. Yeah, so you don't sound like you're from around here. No, I'm not. I've come a long way. Mm, uh, yes, you have. 15-hour flight, which yeah. I don't want to recommend that to anyone. Yeah, that's uh, not good. There's, there's only so many movies you can watch sitting down <laughs> with terrible food before your mind starts going insane. Um, and <laughs> Where am I? Yeah. <laughs> And you just you just want to get off the plane, yeah. and you can't. Yeah, you, you got, can't. You're in a you're, flying you're, trash can. You're stuck. So yeah. I think that says it all of how much I love Karen Hansen. <laughs> <laughs> that I've been willing to do that many times. Nice. Many times. So, Peter, we recently played golf, and I just want to, <laughs> I want you to tell everybody, one, number one, how epic a golfer I am, and specifically how epic uh, hole number 16 was. What what did you witness on, on that uh, particular hole? Man, it was... It was a privilege to see <laughs> one of the greatest meltdowns in sporting history. Uh, I mean, this, uh, I'm not sure we could call that sporting history. That was <laughs> that was more like lumberjack. Uh, yeah, there was a lot uh, of trees, <laughs> uh, a lot of lost balls. <laughs> we went and played golf, yeah. and we we were on the 16th hole, and I was two shots behind Nathan. Yeah, and uh, yeah, so it was kind of coming down to the wire, and Nathan. <laughs> Let me tell you the result first. Ended up with a 13. <laughs> yeah, on that's the, right. On, on a on, par five. On a par five. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and three lost balls. Yeah. I think the first six shots all hit trees. <laughs> some some went further away from the hole from where he <laughs> took the shot. Um, and I just, yeah, I... It was, At one point, Peter was like, maybe you should just pick up. <laughs> I did say that to you. I'm like, hey, you can just pick up I was if you like, want. No, I, I will defeat this hole. Yeah. So, anyway. I mean, I liken it to sanctification. Yeah, totally. You know, like, yeah. you just hang in there, man. You hang in there. There's, you, you keep take swinging the club. One step forward, two step back yep. before you go forward again. Yeah, that's right. And, um, and ultimately, you will finish, even though you might finish bloodied. And, <laughs> yeah, anyway. But it was a lot of fun. Uh, we're going to do it again. Yes, we absolutely will. I got to give it some revenge, man. And then I've also got Jonathan Linder, who was here last time. Jonathan, what's up, dude? What is going on? How are you doing this morning? Man, I'm doing great. I'm just here, and <laughs> <laughs> I'd rather be nowhere else other really? than in the studio of the Equipping Podcast. Wow. Okay, well, maybe you should get a life. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, go on, you mate. <laughs> yeah, 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 for sure. Karen, what are we doing today? You probably don't even know. <laughs> I have no idea. Today we're back with the Eubank family. We got to talk to them last week and hear some of their story. And so we are going to do that again, which is amazing. Yeah, Because they are an them. awesome family. They so are awesome. We hope y'all enjoy. We're back this week with Dave and Karen Eubank from Free Burma Rangers. Hey guys, thanks for giving us your time and being here with us. It's a blessing. Thank you. It's an honor. For us. Yeah, no, the honor is ours. So we want to talk this week about uh, a couple of different things that have happened in y'all's lives over the last, really, six or seven months. So in February, in fact, I have my own book here that before you leave, I want you to sign it. 
And then also I have, as my bookmark, I have my uh, free Burma Rangers awesome. movie ticket. He's a fan boy. <laughs> awesome. awesome. That's my movie ticket. So, w- which we've talked with, and Chris is a friend of mine that over the last couple of years, of course, he's been with you guys for a long time, capturing footage and mm-hmm. not only in Burma, but also uh, in Iraq. In Iraq, yeah. So him and Daydocs put together this uh, free Burma Rangers docudrama, if you want to call it that, documentary. That was in the theaters in February and then um, has since been released on video. Actually, I own it through Amazon, so you can get it on Amazon. And then just last month, I believe, you released a book, Do This for Love, Free Murmur Rangers in the Battle of Mosul. And so we want to talk through, because probably a lot of people have seen that movie. And if you haven't seen that movie, then what the heck is wrong with you? Yeah, <laughs> do it now. Uh, you can rent it or buy it. Buy it is even better. And there's DVDs. Um, yeah, there's DVDs. Mm-hmm. So, and then also pick up this book, uh, Do This for Love. So I'd definitely encourage you guys to do that. But there was a couple things that we just wanted to ask you guys. Having seen the film, I've seen it probably a half dozen times now with all the pre-screenings and right. then the actual right. theater. And then from the book, but there was, uh, I think, like I said last week, we think a lot about spiritual formation. And you said something in the movie that as soon as you said it, I was like, that's the most significant thing that I think might be in this entire film. You were telling the story about you guys getting into Iraq and you didn't know how you were going to get around. And all of a sudden, somehow you got through like the traffic control point and you end up in front of this general. Mm Mm-hmm. And in the movie, you're like, man, I'm standing there and I hear this voice. Mm-hmm. And in the movie, you said, and I recognize that voice. Mm-hmm. That statement right there is huge, I think, for people. When we think about discipleship, when we think about spiritual formation, let's be honest, and this may sound crazy, but it's true. There are competing voices that are going on in our heads, mm-hmm. right? But a lot of the process of formation, spiritual formation, is learning to listen to the voice of Jesus. And so I'd love for you to just talk about that for a minute. Like, what was that like when you're like, man, I recognize that. As soon as you said it, I was like, oh, it's epic. It's epic. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But unpack that for us. Like, what what is that? And what prompted you to, because you ended up getting on your knees in front of this guy, Mm -hmm. right? Well, you're right. I didn't think those would be the ones you'd pick. (laughs) (laughs) And our main work is Burma. We've got 100 plus relief teams on foot walking around the jungle of Burma Mm -hmm. in the conflict areas. And then we were invited to help in Iraq and in Syria. And we have a few teams there. But during the Battle of Mosul, we started with the Kurds and we got to know them well. But then ISIS was defeated by November 2016. We thought, what are we going to do now? And we prayed and we thought, I guess we're done here. Unless God, you want us to go to Mosul. We're down on the Kurdish side. And right after we said that prayer, our phone rang and there was a big Christian organization that said, we got a lot of food, but we can't get to that area in, in the Battle of Mosul because it's too dangerous. It violates our rules. Will you do it? Well, we just prayed, yes. So we first had to get through the encirclement. The Iraqis have encircled Mosul to trap ISIS and they don't want people going in and out unless they're supposed to be there. Yeah, right. But God opened those doors. Of course. And now, but where exactly in East Mosul is it? Shahrazad, <laughs> where's Shahrazad? What's the name of the commander? Don't know. What's the division? I think it's 9th Division. What brigade? Not sure. Maybe 36. Okay. We're just driving around. And, <laughs> and then- Looking we, for this cat. We like, come to a fork in the road. Would you take a right or left? And we look at binos. Well, there's an Iraqi flag. They're right. Let's take that. As soon as we turn, ISIS opens up on us. Because if we'd gone left, we would have driven right into their position. This is active war. Yeah. 
And at first, mortars and machine guns are going off around us. And I, and I thought, man, the Iraqis are terrible shots. They're shooting short rounds, right? Yeah, Which yeah. means they're not going far enough. And go, oh, no, that's ISIS right there. So it's kind of like <laughs> Mr. Bean driving across the desert. <laughs> we get to the Iraqis, and they're like, who are you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And who sent you? What are you doing? And I said, God, because there's no time to mess around. Yeah. And as I go on in life, you know, I think before we answer any question to anybody, we, we should say, Jesus, what do I say? Mm-hmm. But more often than not, it's just say the truth. Yeah. What you think, not what they think they're going to think of you. Say what you, why you're there. And if the motive's bad, say that too. They know you're real at least. Mm-hmm. So I said, God sent us. And he goes, how did you know? Like you're talking about the voice of God. How did you know? How do you know God's voice? Yeah. And then as we talked and I told him why we're there to help and everything I have is his and we don't have any safety rules. We're all in. As it was over and you could see he accepted us, I said, can we pray? And he goes, yes, they're Muslims. I love Muslims. They pray to God. They believe in God. Mm -hmm. That's an awesome place. Mm -hmm. They know they're not God. And I started to pray and I felt this voice from God. I don't know how to say it's like a thought or impression. I've sometimes seen it like writing. This was like a thought. Get on your knees. Get on my knees. Be a Christian nutcase. I will just validate what they think of Christians. <laughs> and it was like, are you afraid of me? Are you afraid of them? Yeah. Who do you serve? Oh, I know this voice. Mm-hmm. Oh my gosh, not what I planned. So I get on my knees and I could see them look at me like, whoa, what's this guy? And I closed my eyes and I raised my hands and I, I prayed in English, which the commander did not understand. Mm-hmm. And I stood up and through the translator, he said, we know you fear God like we do. We know you believe God like we do. Our country's yours. You can go anywhere you want. We trust mm-hmm. you. Mm-hmm. I thought, wow, God, that's not why I did it. Yeah. I did it in obedience to the voice. Yeah, that's right. You didn't well, know what that guy was going to say. No. Yeah. And so when you obey the Lord, it's, it's usually something different every time because God's a creative God and every moment of our lives are changing and different. Can't hang on to anything from the past. And hearing God's voice, I think all of us can hear his voice or, or feel a thought if we open our hearts And sometimes you don't even have to open it. Paul, whose name was Saul before, persecuting Christians on his way to Damascus, he didn't have to ask. God had an idea and just smoked him. (laughs) And so he was like, okay. But, and we would all love that. I I would, I'll take it. I'll be blind for a couple of days and and you can fix me. (laughs) But mostly I think for us, it's, it's, we have to say, God, I surrender. Mm-hmm. Jesus, I surrendered. You know, I hated those words, surrender. I was a ranger officer, special forces. I wrestled in college. I would never wrestle you. Yeah. This giant next to me. <laughs> um, and I fought all the time and I liked it. And I thought, I was proud of myself. I don't surrender. It's a total lie. When you don't surrender to Jesus, when I didn't surrender to Jesus, I surrendered to other things because mm-hmm. you're going to surrender to something. Yeah. So what did I surrender to? Pride, selfishness, greed, a whole bunch of sins. And I thought I didn't surrender. Yeah. What a joke. Yeah. When you surrender to Jesus, all those other things have less of a chance to dominate you. Mm-hmm. And I learned that the hard way by a lot of failure. But I love how God, he didn't give up on us. And that's the thing I want to say is God doesn't give up on people. Don't give up on people. Keep praying and keep trying. So anyways, hearing his voice, when I was a cadet at Texas a and I had a scholarship and you could go two years into it. And after two years, if you want to cut away, you cut away, no, no obligation. I was at that point. I was back in Thailand at a prayer meeting. My parents are missionaries there. And I asked for prayer. And this man laid his hands on me. It was like electricity. It was one of those spiritual moments you always want to have. I almost never do. At least I don't. It's like electricity. And he prophesied. And I, I said in my prayer, Lord, okay, thank you. I'm already a paratrooper because I'm already going to jump school. Thank you I could do that. 
now I'll leave the army and be a missionary. That's what I thought God would say. Oh, you, you just doing your own thing. Now I'll be a missionary. Cause I didn't ask God what to do. I told him I'm going to mm. go in the army. Bless mm-hmm. me. Mm-hmm. That's terrible. Now I've changed. Lord Jesus. I'm so sorry. What do, what you, do want? you want? <laughs> exactly. And anyways, he said at the end of nice things and some, some instruction and something will hurt you in life, but it won't crush you and other things. You'll know my voice when I speak to you. This is to prepare you for future service. So I spent 10 years in the, in the military, in, in Rangers and Special Forces, and then got out, went to seminary. Karen and I were married. That's 28 years now. And then Freebird Rangers. But all through that, listening to God's voice has meant different things at different times. But I find the more I submit, the more I give up my agenda, the more I hear. Not the times I choose, but it turns out to be when I need it. Yeah. There was a, a great pastor in California that I love, and he said, Go with the light you have. In other words, what was the last order you got? Don't You don't need a new one. Just go with the last one. And then God will give you the next one. You keep putting everything on the altar. Mm. I remember once we were in Burma. We were hit hard by the Burma Army in a relief mission. We um, had five people killed. Actually, it was their guys who got killed trying to kill us. But now they're chasing us hard. And over a thousand of Burma Army chasing us one way. We're at a canyon going down to a river about the size of the Mississippi called the Salween. We have to cross it. We have 80 of us. It's going to take us four people at a time, the math, eight hours to cross this river. On the other side of the canyon, 4,000 feet up, but you could shoot from the top down. It's very narrow. There's 1,000 more troops coming. We're trapped in the middle. What are you going to do? Kill box, yeah. A kill box, yeah. total kill box. Half my team said, the people still need our help. Cross anyways, you die, you die. I have no cowards on my team. These are all seasoned soldiers before. And the other half said, no, that's just stupid. God gave you a brain. You're going to die and do what? Nothing. Second, even if you don't die and you get across, you can't come back. And I had a visa due in a neighboring country. And so you're going to administratively get yourself kicked out for what? Pride. So we had this argument between pride and fear. Mm. Which is it? Pride or fear? And we don't want to be led by pride, comfort, or fear. So we prayed. And they finally said, okay, whatever God tells you, Dave, they're saying this in current language, we're going to do. I'm like, oh, great. <laughs> Pressure's and, on, man. we all die. So I said, okay, let's put up all our agendas on God's altar, mm. everything. So the hardcore side, I call, they're all hardcore, but the guy that said go and die said, okay, we put up on the altar our desire to help people. We give it up. We don't have to help people. We put up the idea, and that's a good motive to help people, the bad motive, not being seen as a coward. Mm, put that yeah, up on the altar right, too. Right, that's good. And then the other side said, we put up on the altar the desire to survive. And we put up on the altar, what it looks stupid to go forward. We put it on the altar. We put up on the altar also, we want to help people. And all of us commonly put up on the altar our desire to serve God with everything we've got. And we put it up there and we say, now, Lord Jesus, please give us all the same answer. And then I walk over to the a militia that was going with us. They were assigned to us. I said, what do you guys think? They said, we're not here to think. You tell us what to do. I'm like, oh, wow, it's more guys. <laughs> so I get on my knees Lord, and I pray something. and I'm pretty scared Yeah. and I'm torn in the middle. Which way do I go? Yeah, right. And I close my eyes and I pray and I don't hear any, I don't hear God's voice. But what I see is like in print about three to four inches high and about a foot and a half long in print. It says this, you are not responsible for your future. It means go. So I turned around and I said, you know, I don't know. And I I was still like, I don't know if God told me this or not, but I think he just did. You are not responsible for your future. means we go. And everybody started laughing. And and the the one guy who didn't want to go said, in for a penny, in for a pound. 
And so how do you hear God's voice when you submit everything and you say, Lord, I'm giving you everything, even my bad motives, even the embarrassing ones, the good ones, the bad ones that put on your altar and what do you want? I will do it. He will tell you. Mm. And the way he's talked to me is with an audible sound sometimes, rarely, sometimes with an impression, like a thought, sometimes with a visual or sometimes to the voice of my wife saying, Dave, you're right. Keep going. <laughs> and, or my kids saying, yeah. dad, we're not led by comfort and fear. Go pick that guy up at the airport at two in the morning. Yeah, what are you yeah, doing? Yeah. Whatever it is. But I just thank God he speaks and it's yeah. a gift. And I think he speaks to all of us in the way each of us need it, when we need it. And usually it means we submit everything. Yeah. Well, yeah, it's a, it is a gift. I mean, it's crazy when you think about what prayer is, mm-hmm. right? To communicate with the sovereign of the universe. Right. <laughs> right. See, but a couple of the things that I just took away from what you just said were one, God speaks when God speaks. Mm-hmm. Like you don't obligate him. Mm-mm. You don't say, God, tell me this. Right. Like anybody that you have a functioning relationship with, you don't tell them to talk to you. Like, hey, I want you to tell me X, Y, and Z. It's like, what are you talking about? Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. no, the relationship is, no, I'm going to put myself in a relational position with you where I'm listening. Mm-hmm. And that's an active thing. And sometimes it looks like being in a jungle and going, all right, everybody, all your motives, you know, <laughs> toss them in here and we're going to submit, you know. I think on a day-to-day basis for the regular American who's listening to our voice right now, it looks like, what are my false motives. Mm-hmm. What are the things that are, you think about a, like a soundboard and a lot of the channels are turned up really high and you're like, what kind of practices can I implement that turns down the noise so that I'm actually actively listening to what God says? And I think the what I took away from what you said or what I got from what you said when I watched you on the screen, huge 40 foot Dave, <laughs> was here's a guy who has spent years of his life walking in a type of way where he is actively listening and waiting for God to speak to him. And sometimes it's super clear. And sometimes you're like, I don't know, but I'm going to be faithful with what he's given me to do right now. And mm-hmm. man, that that's not just in the jungle with surrounded by the Burmese army. Like mm-hmm. that's, that's anywhere. That's you dealing with your family. That's you dealing with a business deal. That's you dealing with, you know, some conflict maybe you have in a relationship is man, what are we doing to turn down the noise around us to submit our motives, to submit, to be honest about it, to be honest in prayer so that we can actually hear when he speaks? I think it takes practice too. It totally like does. You become more in tune to the voice of God as you continually submit to him. Well, and that's what he says. like, yeah. I recognize that voice. Yeah. It's like, yeah. oh, we've done this before. Yeah, yeah, right. totally. And so it's an active practice. It doesn't just... Happen over Yeah, right, right. Not always, at yeah. least, sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> and I mean, I mean, another time I was in Burma also, and there was seven of us, Burma Army's coming, there's 400 of them. That's going to end with us losing. And we can't run away because there's people behind us, including my family. And they're going to slaughter them. They already decapitated this guy and put the headless body on the trail. And I remember being at the head of this ravine with seven of our guys, and we all had weapons. You know, a lot of times we have no weapons, and our job is not to fight anybody. But we had weapons and mostly pistols that didn't work that great. <laughs> and I turned to Monkey and I'm whispering and, I, and we prayed. We didn't just show up in this ravine. We knew they were coming. We prayed for three days as we moved, trying to get between them and the, the civilians. And we arraigned ourselves in this, on this, this ravine where we could at least slow them down. Mm. 
and they were coming up the you hear the noise 400 men in the jungle at night make noise even yep. trying to be quiet yeah of course and I turned to monkey and I whispered and I said monkey you know we're missionaries do you feel we've prayed about this we've already been over this but I'm just like seeking assurance <laughs> do you think it's right that we're here and we may kill these guys and we're gonna die and he goes yes God has us here and mostly our pistols don't work <laughs> and, and so just to remind yeah. you, our weapons aren't that effective. No. And so I just pray, Lord, tell me how to pray. Mm. Tell me how to pray. I don't want to babble like a pagan or a scared Christian. Tell me how to pray. And he, God gave me three things. And I, these are thoughts or impressions. One was pray that none of you get killed or hurt. That was really easy. And <laughs> okay. in Jesus name, none of us get killed or hurt. And other people behind get killed or hurt. Amen. Boom. Okay. Number two, pray that our Burma army is stopped and goes back. Easy. Lord Jesus, in Jesus' name, the Burma army go back. All powers and principalities are on them. You are no control. You cannot come here. Okay. Third prayer. Pray that the Burma army goes back home and they don't get hurt. I balked. Mm. No way. Mm -hmm. One, they're murderous. They do not deserve to go back unscathed. So that's justice. Second, it's impossible. Because as they've come, the Karen resistance, men and women, don't just hang out and watch their villages burn. They go back to fight. Yeah. They're already putting landmines behind the Burma Army's trail. They're already setting up ambushes. Never have I seen. Burma Army always wins. They'll burn your village. But five or six are going to die on the way home. That's going to happen. So, God, that's impossible prayer. And it was like, I felt God say, you're going to say it or not. It's not a just prayer. And it's not a possible prayer in one part I left out. What about us? We don't get to be heroes. We don't get to shoot and say, hey, we stopped them. Pride. So now, God, you violated my sense of justice, my own sense of worth and pride, and possible science. I can't get home. You're going to pray this or not? So I said, in Jesus' name, I pray they get home safe. And, you know, for four days, they tried to attack us, and we kept moving. They kept missing us, and then finally they ended up home, and the, and the ambushes set against them failed. In fact, the Karen commander, the resistance, said, what's wrong with you, ladies? Go back and put on your, your wives' dresses. You can't fight. You missed all the ambushes. And I thought, oh, God cares about those Burmese people too. Mm -hmm. He cares about our enemies. Yeah. So I just shared that story to say that's God will speak as you submit mm -hmm. yourself to him. And when you need it, like you said, you don't get to tell him when. I'm always saying, God, tell me now. But then when you hear someone, oh, this guy prays all the time. When I read about people praying hide from whatever 1800s, I thought, what a boring life that would be, right? Mm -hmm. So dear listener, <laughs> I want to say this. I am often a complete idiot. And I think the funnest thing to do, besides being with my wife and my kids and having beer later, is <laughs> skiing, skydiving, hunting, running, climbing, playing football. I can run past patterns. Even though I'm 60, I can do them all day. It exhilarates me. That's what I think is fun. And I do that stuff. I do all of it. And whatever's important to you, God does never stop me from doing any of it. Ever, ever, ever. He's made it better, and he's made it where I'm not enslaved by any of them. You know, you drink too much beer, it loses its taste, and you have a headache. You do this too much climbing, you die, or it never satisfies you. You do anything out of God's order, it's not going to be fun anymore. So when you pray, it's not so that God can, like, crush you. It's so that God can liberate you mm. to do the cool things. Yeah. And I want to say that as a testimony, and I know probably half the stuff I do is just dumb, and, and God thinks, okay, you can do that. And someone else would say, who cares about it? God lets us be us. Yeah. And so that's one thing. And the other thing, 
even though I listen, I try to listen all the time, I regularly fail. And so we land in America. I decide I'm going to be good. I'm going to be careful. And we land, and right away in Boston, we're directed to the wrong line, and I know it. We're going to be checked in a way we don't need to be checked because we already had this other clearance. And I know that. But I can't catch up to my kids because Suzanne is carrying three, because we have a baggage limit, three 70-pound loads. Think about Ooh. it. She's got on her back, one, one on her front, and one on her head. 70 pounds. She's staggering down. Wow. Walking. Very impressive. Because we're dragging all these extra bags. And we get put in the wrong line to get everything checked, along with everybody else from around the world with like yeah. things in boxes with tape on them and dried fish. And, you know, <laughs> I'm like, oh, come on. So I go to the guy who checks and said, we're not supposed to be in there. He goes, no, you're not supposed to be in there. It's a mistake. And guy's waiting for me outside. And I go, okay, I'm coming. He goes, no, it's too late. Your kids already went in. I said, We'll call them back up. No, you can't do that. Like, come on. Yeah. There's not like an airlock and we're breathing like yeah, exactly, oxygen right. or nitrogen. Yeah, 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 yeah. And I was like, I just ran into bureaucracy times a zillion and I was mad. <laughs> and I'm looking at my, and then the line we're in, they're checking everything apart because we have nothing wrong. The x-ray machine breaks. Oh. And I said, let me get another line. Goes, you can't, we're going to fix the machine. Well, I know the machine will not be fixed this day, this week, maybe this year. <laughs> and I said, hey, sir, please, you know, and now the next plane has come. We're to the back of that line. And this is like, I'll be here literally all day. And they don't care. So I say, Pete, run to that line, the next line. And we just get over and a guy yells at us, you can't skip lines. And thank God for Mr. Sweeney. If you ever listen to this, Sweeney, immigration officer, or customs officer in the Logan airport goes, wait a minute. I watch those guys. They're not supposed to be here. Let this get them through. But as I went through, I realized what was my spirit like? I was mad. They'd made a mistake. I was entitled to something better. I'd lost my temper. And what would they think of me? Do they think I'm a follower of Jesus? Nope. They would have to admit they made a mistake, but they'd say we made a mistake and that guy's a jerk anyway. So when we got around the corner and got, I thanked Mr. Sweeney many times. And then I turned to the guy that was most mad at me and everybody listening. And I said, I have an announcement. I want to apologize for my attitude. I, I got it, uh, you know, because we weren't supposed to be here, but I really didn't need that. You're doing your job. And I just really sorry because I'm, I'm trying to follow Jesus and I totally failed. And please forgive me. And that's all I can say is I'm sorry. And they all calmed down hmm. and I could shake hands. And, and so when I walked, I thought, Dave, you failed so fast. You failed so fast, but we're going to. But when you fail, and I didn't hear anything from God. I didn't hear one yeah, word yeah. before or after. It was just yeah. that my, I was, my conscience was convicted. And so I want to just add well, this. that's pretty clear in the scriptures too. Like, yeah. So we've heard from God about that. Right, <laughs> right. So I'm just saying that some listener thinks that we're some kind of holy people. We're not. Yeah. I want to be, but yeah. we're not. Yeah. So there you go. Yeah, no. And it reminds me of Brother Lawrence. I don't know if you've ever read any of his stuff. Yes. The practice of the presence of God. Mm -hmm. And that's one of the things that he talks about a lot is he's like, yeah, slip up and fall. But I get up. I ask for forgiveness. Mm. I move on, you know. And when necessary, I don't just ask for God's forgiveness, but for the people that I've harmed. And that itself is a testimony of the gospel. So you said something earlier that I want to double tap on. And that is praying for your enemies. So I know one of the things that has happened since we've talked last was all the humanitarian stuff you've done with uh, ISIS fleeing Bagdus. And I know that you even got some flack for it from other forces going, hey. From, from our country. Yeah. Who are going, hey, man, what, what I think you said something like, what does it feel like to be ISIS's Sherpa or right. something like that? Right. How do you deal with that? In a very real sense, you are following Jesus' command to love your enemy. Mm -hmm. um, as people are fleeing, some of them are 
ISIS fighters, Mm -hmm. you know, who are like, man, I'm done with this, you know, Mm -hmm. and they're fleeing and you're literally having to love on and care for and serve people who probably if they had their druthers, you'd be dead. Oh, some of them told us that. Yeah, for sure. They said, you're helping us, you're fools. They'd kill you right now. Yeah. But about one out of 10 started crying when I prayed with them or gave them something or said, thank you. We were there at the last stronghold of ISIS. This was January to March 2019. It's in Bagus, Syria, the corner of Syria, Iraq, on the Euphrates River. And ISIS is trapped there. But this is also the distillation and the, and the condensation, the compression of the hardcore survivors of ISIS. Yeah, yeah. You had to be alive to be there, and you had to be fully committed. Yeah. And a lot of foreign fighters there. And if you're a Syrian or Iraqi ISIS Good chance, in my experience, you're more than half of them are contextualizes. Yeah, I grew up Sunni. The Shias are killing us, and we have no protection, and the U.S. can't protect us. And ISIS comes up and says, I'll fight for you. Yeah. yeah. Just think of the worst group, whatever you, you don't like. Think of any group that you don't like right now in America that you just cannot stand. Mm-hmm. What if someone else came, burned your house down, killed your kids, going house to house doing this, and that group you hate said, I'm going to fight for you. I think you'd accept their help. I would. And you don't agree with them, but you'll accept their help. Most people would once it gets bad enough. So that's how most, or at least half the Iraqi and Syrian ISIS I met. They didn't have to be our enemies. There's nobody helped them and they went to the wrong side. They're guilty. They're not innocent, right. but it's, they're not committed. Yeah. But the foreigners are committed five times. One, I'm a foreigner. Let's say I'm in, I'm Swede. I have to give up being a Christian. That's one major commitment. That's pretty big. Second, I have to become a Muslim. Oh my gosh. That's pretty big commitment. Third, I leave my family never to see them again. Fourth, I disinherit my country. Fifth, I go join ISIS in Syria. Mm. How many of us Christians are as committed as that? Yeah. Oh my gosh. So you're not you're dealing with serious people. So now they're broken though. Dead, broken, fleeing out and we're able to feed them, to give them water, to treat wounds. My kids were part of the medical team and we treated over 4,000 shot people as they came out and it felt great to treat our enemies. I mean, it felt great because it couldn't kill me either, but you know, it wasn't, <laughs> I fought ISIS face to face. They shot yeah. me. I shot them. Yeah. My, my best friends was killed right next to me. I had lost 30 or more than 30 close Iraqi friends in the battle of Mosul. We were, we were not stupid. We know ISIS is evil, Yeah. but ISIS people aren't necessarily evil. They do evil things, but being evil and doing evil things is two different things. And so everyone is redeemable. Look at Paul. And so you pray for them. And maybe in life, sometimes you got to shoot people or arrest them, but that doesn't change their hearts. Only Jesus love changed their hearts. So here we had an opportunity for heart change because they're disarmed. They're in our hands. We're feeding them. And that was a wonderful blessing. And a few people, like some of the ladies and some of the men, ISIS fighters I prayed with, not many, but a few cried when I said, let's pray to Jesus. Mm. It's the only one who can help you. Mm. So, that was a wonderful experience. One of my guys, Zhao Sang from Burma was wounded right next to me, but it was, he was okay. And we went through that and we had a surprising experience with some in the American military who did not want us there, could not stand these people and, and tried to get rid of us, flat out tried to get rid of us. And I remember talking to the Curtis general later and we were very surprised. It was very weird for us mm-hmm. was the Curtis general's mm-hmm. word. What was weird was an American family came going to the front line. That's weird. Second, they had armored vehicles. That's, That's really weird. weird. <laughs> they got some weapons. Who are they? <laughs> and then, weirdest of all, the American government tries to stop them. Like, <laughs> these guys are nothing. What Who? is going and on? Then, <laughs> and then they tried to pressure us, Kurds, you don't let these people come and help. And we 
and we thought we need the help. Yeah. Who's yeah. going to feed? Who's yeah, going right. to treat the wounded? Yeah. And and then the Curtis General said something made us say no to the Americans, even though they're more powerful than us. Something, and I said that was God. And he goes, I think so. Mm. Anyways, ISIS was defeated. Generally, they still pop up here and there, and they can come back. But that was in March 2019. Okay, we think everything's better. We continue to work in Syria between Burma trips and Iraq trips, helping rebuild a church in Raqqa that was destroyed and helping some of the new believers in Syria because there's quite a few of those now and then doing a little feed programs in between until October 2019 when our government, the American government, broke our promise to the Kurds. We promised them we're going to stand between you and the Turks and you don't bother the Turks, the Turks don't bother you. And we broke the promise. We even told them to take down your defenses, which they did. Mm-hmm. And then October the 9th at midnight, the U.S. pulled back. Uh, at four o'clock in the afternoon, the Turks invaded. And they had a proxy force called the Free Syrian Army, many of whom were ISIS. And we knew it because we saw the flags of ISIS change into other flags. Same guys. It was devastating. I cried many times, just ashamed and hurt that we could betray these people. And a Kurdish man come to me crying and saying, Americans, we had you on our heads. We had you in our eyes. We did everything. We lost 14,000 of our sons, which is what the number against ISIS fighting with you. And you did this? You couldn't do this to a dog in America. Mm. And 200,000 people displaced. One of my men was killed and by Turkish strike as we're trying to help people. It was devastating in every way. And the displacement remains. The Turk invasion remains. And I want to say something about enemies because ISIS was my enemy. And some still are. <laughs> but we learned to love them as individuals. And God gave us that love. And I learned to forgive and put justice in God's hands. Now, that's not right. Justice is actually in our hands. Vengeance is in God's hands. But the only way you get to justice is love. That means you care about the perpetrator. So whatever movement you're in or part of, and it's about justice, it is in your hands. God's going to guide you, but it's in your hands. But it's not justice if it's not love for the perpetrator or the person you disagree with. If it's anything else, it's vengeance, and that's not in your hands. Mm -hmm. That's God. Mm -hmm. So learning to walk that line to me, the only way is say, Jesus, I give this all up. Help me. I don't want to be revengeful. Well, this was obvious with ISIS, but I had an experience with my own country. And I'll just say it as it is. I grew up overseas. I loved America. I still love it. It's, it's the land of the free. It's a shining place. It helps more people than anyone. The church in America is amazing. And I voted about every way you can vote. <laughs> Um, Democrat, independent, but mostly Republican, not because I think they're right. That's just how the way I like to live. Mm -hmm. That's just me. And so, dear listener, now you know. (laughs) And when Trump was elected, I thought, hmm, okay, he's the president. You know, I'm just like Obama before him. I'll pray for him. I'll support him. I'll pray for him. I'll support him. That's how it is. Okay. Trump made it much easier in the Battle of Mosul for the Iraqis to, to really defeat ISIS. He opened up a lot of rules. And a lot of the American generals are very close to us and helped give smoke like you saw in the movie. Yeah, it's a great relationship. Right. And yeah. we all were grateful for President Trump. But then in October, when we broke our promise, and it's not just the president, it's all the people too who wanted to do it and betrayed our friends when we said we wouldn't. Again, you're not responsible for anything except what you say you're gonna do. Yep. You don't have to make a promise. You don't have to ever go to Syria. You can say, we're going to make it no problems. We promised that we'd stay there. Not forever, but we wouldn't let someone else invade them. And not only that, we told them to take you out of your defenses. They did it. Boom. We broke that promise. That was a wound, not just to my soul, 
but to the American soul. Mm. And then when my close friend, who's an uncle to my kids, Zhao Sang, when he died right next to me because of this, I became very sad and very angry at our president. Mm. It didn't matter if I voted for him or not at that point. I don't care if I had voted for him. I would have been pretty mad. I'd be mad at my dad if he did that. And I love my dad, but I was mad and I got past mad. Uh, and I remember thinking, I don't want to hate and I don't want to be consumed by this, but you know, through tears. And so I said, Jesus, I forgive our president. I forgive our country. Please forgive us. Please help us do this. But it was a daily struggle It come up in me, daily struggle. And then about 10 days after Zhao died, and the, and the offensive had kind, of, had kind of reached the limit of what the Turks wanted, about 30 kilometers in, 100 kilometers, something wide, 200,000 people now in tents, nothing. Oh, it was terrible, many dead. Fox News shows up at, at the hospital and says, tell us what happened. And I said, I told him what happened, that we betrayed. I said, America betrayed these people. And there was this big invasion. And not only the Turks and their proxies, many of whom are ISIS, killed my friends and, and our friends and pushed in, but it opened a door to the Russians, the Iranians, and the Syrians are in. It wasn't even smart. Yep. It was a terrible decision. So I said, we made a mistake, but all we have to do is say we're sorry. We're not God and we're not the devil. We're just Americans. We're just people. We should say we're sorry and fix it. And then I felt God say, you tell Trump you love him. I do? Well, do you or you don't you? Yeah, I want to. And I turned to the camera. I don't know if Trump ever saw this. I said, President Trump, I love you. I'm behind you, I pray for you, and I mean it. And God gave that to me. Mm. So I'm not trying to make a political statement. What I'm trying to tell you is the honest truth of what happened in my heart, mm. how I can honestly say, I love you. And again, we don't have to agree, but he is not my enemy. And my enemy is Satan. And I've betrayed, I've sinned, I've said things that aren't true, I've done things that aren't right. It's not like, oh, you know, you're all bad, I'm good. So. To me, I just added that in because our enemies sometimes will surprise us and be our own family. Yep. And usually we have a good reason. They've hurt us, but God can help us overcome that. And it's not like we don't say, oh, it's okay. No, it's not okay. We did wrong. We should say, we're sorry, let's fix it. But I love you. I'm with you. What can I do to help? And I can only say I was able to do that because Jesus did it for me because yeah, right. he cares about all of us. I mean, it's powerful because something that even struck me watching the documentary and even hearing you now is that uh, love can be really uncomfortable, can be really uncomfortable. Right. And to go into places that look the way that they look or that smell the way they smell or that where you're getting shot at or where they're wounded to love people in those circumstances is uncomfortable. To love your enemy is uncomfortable. And yet we have a God, very God of very God, who came to the earth and became uncomfortable for us. Mm -hmm. And so it's a model. It's, an, it's something that we can follow because we have a perfect example and we have the power of God within us to do that for us, to help us in moments where we don't want to. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Paul says at the end of Colossians 1, where he's talking about presenting everyone mature in Christ, you know. And he says, to this end, I labor like I work, you know, but uh, I work with his power that works so strenuously in me. And those are very rubber meets the road, practical ways. You know, I know that voice. 
Right. <laughs> Where it's like, all right, dude. Nathan, you going to do this or not? Yeah. <laughs> you know, when, when my wife and I are in conflict and he's mm-hmm. like, hey, are you going to be patient and kind and gentle? And everything inside of me is like, no, you know? And he's like, really? All right. And he'll press in on me and I'll be like, okay, Lord, like I, I, I can't. I, mm-hmm. I, I can't do what you're asking me to do. You have to do it for me. And when that happens, when you actually surrender, going back to your comment earlier about surrender is like, man, Jesus is the only one who, when you surrender to him, he sets you free. <laughs> that, that surrender ends up in your liberation. And mm-hmm. so, man, I'm really grateful for both of you, uh, Dave and Karen. Thank you. And uh, I'm grateful for the ministry you guys have had. I'm grateful that you guys are, whether you know it or not, and a lot of times, you know, for all those years where you're like, I know you started off going with a little handheld camera, like, mm-hmm. I, don't, I don't know, I'm, I'm going to do this myself and maybe it'll be horrible. You know, I don't know. And then Chris comes into the picture and then now, you know, millions of people have seen y'all's story and have been inspired by it. And my prayer for that resource and for that tool is that it won't just make people go, oh, wow, that was really amazing, but it will actually inspire them to, like you said, Dave, to just continue to go to Jesus. You know, hey, what do you want me to do? Here's my five loaves and two fish. Mm-hmm. And so if you're wondering like, man, I could, I could never do that or whatever, I, I, I think what I would encourage you with is don't try to be the Eubank family. Be who God created you to be. Give him your loaves and your fish and watch him do what he wants to do with you, where you are. All right. Well, we love you guys. We love you all. And we're great. It's a great team. Thanks. Again, if you're not familiar with the Eubank family, and even if, if you are, whatever, we would encourage you guys to support them. I don't know about the where the proceeds from the book or the movie go. I'm, I'm assuming it helps you guys in some way. It does. The movie is divided between Lifeway. It's a Christian organization and Daydocs who help make the movie and the Freeburn Rangers. The book is divided half and half between okay. the Freeburn Rangers and the publisher. Yeah, there you go. The Dallas Press and Post Hill. And so, yeah, it helps. It helps us help people. So, wham, get, bam, there you yeah. go. You can... You know, get those resources going to help you. You can help them. Right. And then you can always go to, uh, I think, what's your website again? org. And you can support them through that. So we'd encourage you guys to continue to track with them. Until next time, hope you guys have a great week. God bless you. God bless you. Thanks for listening to the Equipping Podcast. We hope you enjoyed what you just heard. If you would like to play golf with Nathan and win some money, <laughs> please uh, email. Yeah. I mean, it's like candy from a baby. So <laughs> if you're interested in that, uh, we'd, we'd love to hear from you. And thanks for checking out this conversation. Bye. Peace. See ya. See ya.